Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Missouri. This is a case that at the beginning of my research, I thought would be only one episode, but as I went on and read through all the different documents and articles, my normal amount of notes doubled. There were times during the research of this case that I got so excited for the developments that I started typing so fast, I was misspelling words like Mississippi. This case is heartbreaking, but it's also a case where the police didn't hesitate for a second and the victim's family never held back on what they thought happened and didn't care who knew it. I have been rooting for this family hard over the last week, and there is no way to fit every moment into one episode. So for those of you who prefer to listen to two-parters all at once, feel free to hold off until next week. But for everyone else, we can all agree that small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Jackie Waller was a strong, beautiful, and independent woman who knew what she wanted and she went for it, whether it was her love life, her career, or her children. In 1993, she married Clay, who was the man she thought would be the love of her life. Clay had spent some time in law enforcement working for two different departments, but ultimately left public service to try his hand at different businesses. I found a few listed for him, like painting and construction, but they all seemed to be pretty short-lived before he moved on to the next. Clay seemed like he was more of the wild card in the marriage, while Jackie was more of the stable and nurturing half. She was the rock. A decade into their marriage, Jackie and Clay decided they wanted to have children. Clay had a son of his own from a previous relationship, but Jackie had always wanted children of her own, so the two decided to try for a baby. Ultimately, Jackie found out that she'd need IVF, and with all the hopes and the best wishes in the world, the Southeast Missourian reports that she had three eggs implanted, hoping for at least one little miracle. Jackie got her wish times three. All three eggs implanted, and she was officially having triplets. Before long, her dad told the outlet that it looked like she had a Volkswagen under her shirt. On October 14, 2005, the triplets were born, two girls and a boy, and they were perfect. It seemed like Jackie's life really began that day. I mean, sure, she'd accomplished a lot of really great things in her life, but this was the dream. As the years went by and the triplets grew up, they each had their own personality, their own interests, and even had their own appearance. Jackie loved each one of them uniquely, and they loved their mom. For all intents and purposes, Jackie's life seemed perfect. She had clay, she had the triplets, and on top of that, she had this really tight-knit family. The kind of family that you call every single day and spend the weekends with, which, to say the least, comes in really handy when you have triplets. She made a Facebook post about how much her son reminded her of her dad after he went into the bathroom while Clay was in the shower just to flush the toilet and hear him squeal when it got hot. The house was full of laughter and love and Nerf gun wars, but while everything seemed great, as the triplets got older, Jackie and Clay's marriage started to crumble. In June of 2010, the Southeast Missourian reports that Jackie told her family that she wanted to file for divorce. She had all the support in the world, but leaving a marriage is hard. There's a lot of guilt involved and she had kids to think about, but in Jackie's case, she also had Clay to think about. She had been the rock in the marriage, always holding a steady, well-paying job while Clay tried and failed at several different variations of construction-esque businesses. 
I ran a report and it looks like he had a considerable amount of tax debt that had gone unpaid and finances can be a real bitch when you're thinking about separating. She gave the marriage a chance throughout the rest of 2010, but it wasn't easy. By 2011, it was becoming more and more clear that it wasn't going to work. For the first few months of the year, friends told the examiner that she would pack up the kids for the weekend and stay with friends or family with plans to go back and get the rest of their stuff, but in the end would go back home. Her friends told the outlet that it was hard for them to understand why she kept going back after all of his threats, which was the first time anyone had ever mentioned that there had been any threats, but rest assured, we'll get to those. By March of 2011, Jackie made her decision. She was done, there was no saving the marriage, and she and her kids needed out. According to the Southeast Missourian, Jackie packed up her things one last time and moved herself and her kids out of their family's rental home in Cape Girardeau to St. Genevieve, about an hour away, to live with her sister until she could get settled into her own place. The commute to work was going to be a long one, but pretty quickly, Jackie got a new job that was actually going to let her work from home. It was like everything was finally falling into place. Not only was she getting out of a toxic marriage, to say the least, she was going to be able to spend more time with the triplets. Clay, on the other hand, was spiraling. I ran a report and it looks like he, or they if I'm being fair, stopped paying the rent on their rental home shortly after Jackie left. The homeowner filed an eviction notice asking for $1,600 in back rent on top of a $90 filing fee. It looks like a family friend may have come to Clay's rescue and did him a solid here, letting him stay at one of their rentals while he got back on his feet. While Clay was spiraling, Jackie was in the middle of a serious glow-up. She was happy. For the first time in a long time, she was free to just be happy. Her sister told the Southeast Missourian that it was the happiest she'd ever seen her sister. She'd even started dating and met a really nice man who over the next few months fell in love with her and the kids and reminded Jackie what it felt like to be truly loved and respected. According to the outlet, they'd even found a rental home that they were going to move into together and had started painting it and getting it ready for the kids. But while Jackie and her boyfriend were living their best life, Clay was doing everything he could to make it miserable. He didn't want this divorce, and if he couldn't have Jackie, no one could. I think this is a good time to pause and talk about this whole if I can't have you, no one can attitude. Jackie and Clay's divorce did not come out of nowhere. Their marriage had been on a major decline for a while. Neither of them were happy, but Jackie was miserable, and she was miserable at the hands of Clay. Clay wasn't against this divorce because he didn't see it coming. He wasn't against the divorce because he wanted to do everything it took to make Jackie happy again. I mean, he had a whole-ass girlfriend. Clay was against this divorce because he was losing control. The only control he had over Jackie at that point was trying to keep her from having the only thing she wanted, which was happiness away from him. Jackie was patient with Clay and had taken to walking on eggshells around him. In a way, she pitied him, but she was also afraid of him. Because of that, she did whatever she could to appease him and get through this season until the divorce was final. But with every proverbial fire that she put out, he lit a new one. That is, until Memorial Day weekend of 2011. 
That weekend, the weekend of May 27th, Clay had the kids. According to the Southeast Missourian, Jackie had primary custody while Clay had weekend visits, and Memorial Day weekend was his. That weekend, with the flip of a switch, Jackie's friends told the examiner that all of a sudden, Clay's demeanor changed. He was finally accepting the divorce and even told Jackie that they could stay friends. The kids stayed at Clay's house until Sunday the 29th, but when Jackie came to pick them up, Clay asked if he could keep their son for an extra night. Yes, he only asked for one of the triplets to stay an extra night with him. Jackie said it was okay, took the girls home, and Clay took their son to his new girlfriend's house in Illinois, which sounds far away because it's in another state, but they lived really close to the state line. Their son stayed with Clay until June 1st because on that day, he and Jackie were meeting with their divorce attorney to finally settle everything and sign the papers. Their meeting was at 3 p.m. and after, Jackie planned to pick up their son from Clay's house and head back to her sister's. Right on schedule, the Southeast Missourian reports that Jackie and Clay met at the attorney's office. They went over custody, taxes, the settlement of a retirement account, and possible bankruptcy. The retirement account was Jackie's, so who knows why that was even a discussion, but Clay had gotten himself into some deep financial shit and relied on Jackie to clean up his messes, so it's really not that big of a surprise. Obviously, Jackie had been doing just fine on her own with a new job and a rental home, all while being a single mother to three. But, like we mentioned before, Jackie just wanted this divorce finalized, whatever it took. The meeting started off fine, but towards the end, the attorney told the Southeast Missourian that Clay started to get agitated. Of course, it wasn't about the custody, it was about the finances. When it came time to sign the papers, Clay did sign them, but in true jackass fashion, he wouldn't give them to the attorney. Big nanny nanny boo boo energy. The attorney told the outlet that Clay tried to convince Jackie not to give her papers to the attorney either, and eventually, the two decided that they needed to talk to a bankruptcy attorney before officially filing for divorce. Just like that, Clay got his way again, and the two left their meeting no closer to divorce. At that point, all Jackie wanted to do was pick up her son from Clay's house and go home. On the way there, she called her sister to give her an update and let her know that she'd be right home after she got her son. She then called her boyfriend to tell him the same, and according to the Southeast Missourian, the two talked on the phone for nine minutes until 4.05 p.m. when she told him that she was at Clay's house and that she'd be heading home as soon as she got her son. But Jackie never came home. In fact, no one ever heard from Jackie again. Jackie's family tried getting in touch with her for hours, but every call and every text went unanswered, and eventually her phone just stopped ringing. Jackie would have never let her family worry about where she was, let alone where her son was. They knew something was wrong, so just before midnight, her sister reported her missing. Now, we've covered plenty of cases where we wished the police took missing persons reports more seriously, but that's not the case here at all. Gerardo police were on it and from day one took her disappearance more seriously than I think I have ever seen. Within a few hours, the Southeast Missourian reports that they'd given Jackie's case to the Jackson Police Department's major case squad. At no point in time did anyone think that Jackie had just walked away from her life. From the very beginning, everyone, law enforcement and Jackie's family, believed that something bad had happened to her. They didn't know what, but they had one guess as to who had done it. Clay. Police went over to Clay's house several times that day to ask him what had happened the day before. 
According to KFBS, one of those times he told the police that they'd gotten into a fight around 4 p.m. and that she'd walked away on foot. After she walked away, he says that he left, and when he got back around 6 p.m., her SUV was gone. There are several issues with Clay's statement. The first issue is that it doesn't involve his son, which, according to two phone calls she had made before getting to his house, was the only reason she was there. As it turns out, their son wasn't even at his house. Their son was still at Clay's girlfriend's house in Illinois. He had been there since the night before. Jackie had gone over to Clay's house to pick up a child that Clay knew wasn't there. The second issue here is the whole walking away on foot thing. Clay didn't live in a city or even a super residential area. The house he was staying in was in a neighborhood, but a neighborhood where the houses were pretty spread apart with larger plots of lands littered with woods and ponds. There was nowhere for her to walk to. And even if she did, why would Jackie leave on foot if she had driven there? There's clearly a piece of missing information here. And if he was leaving his own house, why couldn't she have just left? If there's an argument and one of you is driving away, it's usually not the person who lives there. And we'd have to assume that she left on foot with her keys, which makes no sense, because if they were in his house and he left, she wouldn't have been able to go back inside and get them to drive her car away before he got back at 6 p.m. Lastly, where was Clay for those two hours that he claims he wasn't at the house? If nothing happened to Jackie and she just walked away, then came back and drove away and then disappeared on purpose, surely he has two hours worth of alibis, right? We shall see. Obviously, that all sounded like horseshit, so the police department set out to find Jackie's SUV. Maybe if they could find that, they could get one step closer to finding her or finding out what they feared might have happened to her. And it didn't take long. Around 10 a.m. on June 2nd, Jackie's SUV was located. It wasn't found at anyone's house or in some random parking lot. The St. Louis Dispatch reports that it was found parked on the side of the road on I-55 near the Fruitland exit. I mapped it out, and it looks like that puts you out onto Highway 61. There is nothing glamorous or anything significant that stands out about why Jackie would have ever taken that exit, just that it was about one-fifth of the way home to St. Genevieve and about four and a half miles from Clay's house. Jackie's SUV was found locked with a flat tire. Missing were her keys, her cell phone, and her purse. Let's consider the facts here. Either Jackie is missing or something terrible has happened to her. Her vehicle had been found with a flat tire, so either she had car trouble or someone popped her tire to make it look like she had. If she had car trouble, certainly she would have called someone about it, right? But she didn't. She hadn't called anyone to tell them that she'd left Clay's. She didn't call to tell anyone she was having any kind of car trouble. And she didn't answer anyone's calls or texts when they were wondering where she was. And aside from the cell phone, we know that her purse was missing, but she hadn't used a single one of her debit or credit cards. Why take a purse or a phone with you that you don't intend to use? With everything that was missing from Jackie's car, one thing wasn't. Her laptop. 
She used it for work and personal use, including a diary that she kept on there, which her father told KFVS was a bad, bad, bad mistake that we'd be learning more about in the months to come. Jackie's father knew in his heart that his daughter wasn't coming home. There wasn't a single doubt in his mind that Clay had done something to her and he was ready to take him down. This isn't one of those cases where the family is convinced of something and they're waiting for the police to catch up. Not at all. According to KFVS, the police came right out and said that whoever left Jackie's car there on the side of I-55 may have left on a bicycle. There wasn't any mention of why they thought someone ditched the car and specifically hopped on a bike, but it was a pretty specific statement, and Clay's house was only a 4.5-mile bike ride away. With Jackie's SUV located, police went public asking if anyone had seen her vehicle after 4 p.m. on the 1st. Then, they went a step further and asked, if you saw her vehicle after 4 p.m. that day, who was driving it? Was it Jackie or was it someone else? But Jackie's vehicle wasn't the only one police wanted the whereabouts for. They also asked if anyone had seen a 2009 red GMC pickup truck around the same time, adding that it might have been hauling a boat. The truck and boat in question were Clay's. We know they already had Jackie's vehicle because they'd found it earlier that morning, but with a question about possible sightings of Clay's, people wondered if the police were trying to find them. They were not. Police had already seized both. Everything was pointing back to Clay's house, so back to Clay's house they went, but this time with a search warrant. According to a document obtained by the Southeast Missourian, when the warrant was served, Clay ripped it up and asked if he was free to leave. He was, but he chose not to. In another document from the same outlet, it states that instead of leaving the house, Clay just casually laid on the couch and watched the police do their thing. Something tells me that his confidence will not age well. It was noted on that document that of all places, the kids' playmats and toys were laid down in a hallway and that their toys lined both sides of the walls of the hallway. When authorities tried turning on the light in the hallway of toys, the light didn't work. At the time, that didn't seem like a big deal, but put it aside in your brain bank. All of this happened within less than 24 hours of Jackie being reported missing, and it didn't end there. As some officers were coming through the house, others were out talking to witnesses, and those witnesses started shitting on Clay's version of events real fast. Clay had said that the last time he saw Jackie was when she left on foot around 4 p.m., and that when he got back to his house around 6 p.m., her vehicle was gone. But according to an interview Jackie's parents did on the Judge Janine show, police had witnesses stating that that wasn't true at all. One said that they'd seen Jackie's car at Clay's house as late as 8.30 p.m. With a metric butt-ton of lies and so far no alibis, police took their investigation into day two. And on June 3rd, KFVS reported that the police sent out dive teams into two ponds off the road Clay lived on. They didn't find her, but just a few days later, on June 6, police publicly announced that Clay Waller was officially a person of interest in the disappearance of his estranged wife, Jackie Waller. They were clear that he wasn't considered a suspect at that point because technically there was no evidence of a crime yet, but the outlet reported that they'd found new evidence and did suspect foul play. You'll be happy to know that the triplets were not left in Clay's care while all of this was going on. 
The courts decided that Jackie's sister would get temporary custody of the kids because no one trusted Clay at this point, not even the owner of the home that he'd been staying at. With all the heat on him for Jackie's disappearance, he basically told Clay that he had to bounce. Now, we knew ahead of time that Jackie and Clay's marriage had been on the rocks for a while, and we knew that her friends had mentioned some threats, but once the kids were put into the custody of Jackie's sister, friends and family held nothing back about what had really been going on. Her father told KSDK that two weeks prior to her going missing, Jackie had told him that Clay had been threatening to kill her for months, that he was going to kill her and throw her into the river, and that she'd never be found that divorcing him would be her death sentence. According to a document obtained by the Southeast Missourian, he told Jackie that she wouldn't be able to enjoy her new work-from-home job because she'd be dead by then. Those threats sound really serious, and they were, especially knowing Jackie was now missing, and her family wanted to do something about it, but her father told KSDK that Jackie refused to let them get involved. Her father told the Judge Janine show that Jackie herself didn't report it because she was afraid it would prevent Clay from getting his pilot license. It's easy to look back now and say that she should have reported it or that her family should have, but there were a lot of factors in Jackie's life that didn't make that decision easy. People make threats all the time that they don't follow through on, and threatening to kill people is high up on that list. It's a fucked up threat to make, but most of the time, people don't actually do it. Jackie was married to this guy. At one point in time, he was the love of her life, and he was still the father of her children. It's hard to believe that someone who once loved you and claims that they still do will choose to hurt you. The emotional part aside, there were two outcomes if Jackie did in fact report the threats to police. They'd either do something about it or they wouldn't. Threats are a fickle bitch when it comes to the law because, among other stipulations, there has to be means, motive, and opportunity. If the police did something about it, Jackie might have been safe, at least for a while. Maybe he'd go to jail, but his bond would probably be pretty low, low enough for him to get out. And then what? He'd just stop threatening her until it was time for her to testify against him in court? The fear factor is real in this situation, especially if she reported it and there was nothing the police could do. Say they looked into it and Clay found out she went to the police, then what? Does he just stop? Every choice that Jackie had had an outcome that could have been terrifying, so she just tried to handle Clay herself. According to the Murphy Milano blog, Jackie was going to give Clay a $50,000 settlement once the divorce was finalized. She was trying to do everything she could to appease him just long enough to get away hoping that once she did, she'd be safe and free to live the happy life that she had deserved this whole time. As we know now, she wasn't given that opportunity, but her mother posted to Facebook that Jackie had told one of her friends, if he does what he says he's gonna do, I want revenge. And rest assured, they were going to respect that wish. Five thousand dollars. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, three hundred dollars. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? 
back. If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. The days continue to pass with all searches for Jackie coming up empty. And on June 13th, the Southeast Missourian reported that the major case squad had been taken off her case, but that the Jackson Police Department was still lead. On the surface, that sounded like a blow, but in reality, it wasn't at all. The Jackson Police Department was no joke, and Jackie's family had all the faith in the world in them. The department had no qualms in going to the media and told KFVS that they hadn't spoken to Clay since June 7th and that he hadn't once checked on where they were in the investigation, something they'd expect when the mother of someone's children goes missing. The department went on to tell the station that they'd had countless people ask what they could do to help, so they took the initiative to set up two accounts with U.S. Bank, one for donations towards a reward fund and one for donations towards Jackie's triplets. To say that this was the Dream Team department would be an understatement. The next few days were long, but the community showed their support by using their official business signs to spread the word about Jackie's disappearance. And I'm talking official signs. Like instead of the McDonald's sign talking about the McRib, it had information about Jackie. This entire community had come together to rally behind Jackie and her family, and it had a serious This Is Sparta vibe. You mess with Jackie, you mess with the entire town. Since Jackie's disappearance, her family had used Facebook to update people on the investigation and to be general no-limits badasses. On June 20th, her mother posted that law enforcement had gotten some lab results back and that the noose is starting to tighten on that murdering piece of crap. If you're trying to high-five her through the internet, you are not alone. Clay decided that the following day, it was his turn to post on Facebook, and that was a mistake. Up until then, Clay hadn't said a single public word. But that day, he felt like it was his time to shine, so he went onto Jackie's Facebook wall and, according to Fox 2, wrote the following message. I miss you so much. This is a nightmare. I wish for your safe return. So many people are wanting to get me. This is not about me. We need for you to come home. Our babies need us so bad. I haven't seen them since all of this happened. I know they miss you so bad. I look for you every day. I went to church today and have to believe you are still coming home. Our babies must be so confused not having their mom or dad. Honey, I will keep moving forward. Honey, I miss and love you so much. Please come home soon, Clay. Let's go ahead and rip this bitch to shreds real quick. You're four sentences in and already making this about you? So many people are wanting to get me. This is not about me. We are sure as shit acting like it is. Like your missing wife who was last seen at your house is just supposed to pop out of a miracle and come to your defense. Get the fuck out of here. And boo-hoo, you haven't been able to see your kids. No shit, dude. A judge found your kid's aunt to be a better fit than their own father. 
Let that one sink in. I'm sure your estranged wife just happened to go missing after a heated divorce meeting where she went to your house to pick up her kid that you'd conveniently left with your girlfriend in another state. Okay. And he had the balls to say, I look for you every day. Oh, do you, Clay? Where? With whom? Because as of yet, not a damn soul has spotted you while they were out searching for Jackie. You clearly haven't been helping the police search because you'd need to have contact with them in order to do that. And you haven't talked to them since the 7th. And let's not even bother with the I went to church today and I have to believe you're still coming home comment. We get it. You want people to know you went to church. Got it. Bye. The following weeks didn't move as quickly as the first few days of Jackie's investigation did, but it was still moving. The chief of police told KFES that Jackie has a lot of bulldogs on her case who are going to see it through. There were intense searches by hundreds of people, law enforcement, search and rescue teams, family, friends, and even complete strangers. They searched on foot, on horseback, used canines, and even sent helicopters out. They didn't find Jackie, but according to the Murphy Milano blog and Fox News, they did spot Clay as he drove by several times, waving, honking, blowing kisses, and flicking people off. If you're looking around trying to find something to throw right now, you're not alone. During that time, Clay also managed to hire himself a criminal defense attorney, do an interview with Heartland News where he said he was praying for Jackie's safe return, I guess he was praying in between blowing kisses and flicking people off, and according to the Southeast Missourian, managed to continue to dodge the police's request for him to come in for an interview. One officer telling the outlet, we never do see him again or hear back from him. On July 12th, there was another custody hearing for Jackie and Clay's triplets. Regardless of how much we know about the situation, Jackie's case was still considered a missing persons investigation, and Clay hadn't been charged with anything. So there was a real fear that he was about to get visitation with the kids. Evident by a report from KFBS, Clay showed up in his Sunday best, a red t-shirt, and thankfully was denied any form of visitation with the triplets whatsoever. With the kids still safe with Jackie's sister, the searches for her continued, but it was clear to everyone that they weren't looking for Jackie to be alive. They were looking for her body. Every single person and department involved in this investigation was realistic. It was horrible and emotionally draining, but they knew what they were going to find, even if they couldn't quite prove it yet. In an interview her father did with KFVS, they talked about a reward he and Jackie's mom had offered for information leading to Jackie's body. He said, I don't care anything about the arrest and conviction part. That will take care of itself. I want my little girl. Jackie's mom adding, I want the agony to stop. I know there will be more. We can handle that if we just get her back and know where she is. Like every other case, law enforcement just needed that one piece of evidence that would get them enough probable cause to make an arrest. And on July 13th, they found something. But what they found and where they found it is going to have to wait until next week. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Jackie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. 
And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you part two a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We out.